Hello, and welcome to a show of their own sports and life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I am Laura, and welcome back. Um, a week off, kind of unexpected, but Morgan and I are both busy, busy, busy. <laughs> over here. So, but we have a lot to talk about. So, um, Morgan, do you want to check in with baseball quick? Yes. So, one major topic to talk about, and then we'll get into standings. Um, in the past, I guess two weeks one like last week honestly this was both a long and short week so my brain is mush um this might have been the first week they started doing by they mlb slash the umpire started doing checks on pitchers so generally it's the starting pitcher gets checked after the first inning and then if that same pitcher is still in by um like the fifth inning they get checked another time between i think they said between the third and fifth inning however if a manager of the opposing team asks for them to also be checked at the end of like the second third fourth and fifth they could ideally be checked after each inning then each relief pitcher is checked after their inning is over I don't know how that works if like two pitchers pitch in the same inning I'm assuming the pitcher that comes off the mound gets checked then too even though it's not at the end of an inning um, the interest, <laughs> it's funny because after two, two days of that, MLB was so proud of themselves. They're like, we haven't had any suspensions, no fines. Everyone's been clean. It's all been good. I'm like, it's been two days. What did you expect? Did you think like, like the pitchers knew this was coming. So did you think like the first two days, everyone was going to still have like whatever sticky stuff on their glove, hat, belt, whatever, did you think they were just going to show up on the first day and be like, we won't get caught? No, they were going to wait a few days, which if you kept up with MLB today, Sunday, a Seattle pitcher did, uh, I think they found it on his glove after, I don't know if it's the first inning, didn't pay that close attention. I just got the notification. Um, <laughs> very officially, they took his glove and put it in a trash bag to send to the I assume commissioner's office to have it investigated but like you would think after a week they maybe would have had a more sophisticated or official looking bag to put said glove in other than a trash bag the poor MLB employee that was doing it did try to make it look like he was officially wrapping it up to you know enclose it but at the end of the day it's a trash bag I would think it probably thing that would have made that better is if he then put it in a trash can because Astros. Yep. Um, that would have been great. I would assume that like we wouldn't get another person, another pitcher trying that for a few more days, but I doubt this is gonna be the first pitcher because it's guaranteed that pitchers are gonna be like, I'm smarter than the ump, I can get away with it, and or umps will start getting too relaxed about it and then one will be still strict on it and catch people. But I just think it was very MLB of them to be like, after two days, it's working. Everything's going great. And it's like, well, give it maybe a week or two and then pat yourself on the back. Yeah. And it is like, spin rate. Like, I saw something about Garrett Cole and like mm-hmm. the crazy change in his spin rate since this rule has been enacted. And it's like, okay, it's working. But it was also the fact that it's it's if it was true, if the best news would be if no one was getting caught and all of the statistics were the same, because then it would be like, hey, people weren't really cheating that bad. Yeah. But when this happens, it's like, hey, your players were cheating. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's something to be like, whoa, we won. <laughs> right. And especially because like the the checking of it started I believe this past week but like they've been talking about it for a few weeks and they I was listening to um a sports radio station and they were talking about how like all the batting averages and everything have gone up significantly in the last few weeks like overall in MLB and also we had like the first no hitter this last week for the first time like three weeks almost a month there were like five in May and then this is the first one we've had in June so I think that also tells us something and I 
the thing that sucks is that the checking of pitchers is starting to become part of gameplay with managers. Um, it happened middle of the week when Scherzer was pitching and they were playing against the Phillies and Joe Girardi had, I believe had them check two additional times after the first inning. Um, and they, it was more or less to get Max Scherzer off his rhythm, kind of disrupt his um, pace of play. But obviously it pissed Scherzer off because he's like, you've checked me twice and now you're checking again. And he was very upset. And that strategy might work for other players, but like Max Scherzer pitches better when he's pissed off. So like, I don't really know what strategy Joe Girardi was hoping for in that situation and also I feel like at some point the ump's gotta say you lose like, you I feel like the ump's hands are tied because they have they're like that's part of the rules is they have to check when a manager yeah it. but that's what I'm saying like the, the rules should be like yeah at a certain point because like it, it is true for instance like I know with the replay thing like the managers get one challenge before the seventh inning and then after the mm-hmm. seventh inning they can ask the ump but realistically like if there was a stolen base and the guy was blatantly safe, the other team isn't going to just like get the challenge that he's out after the seventh inning, just because they asked, like the ump can be like, well, that's pretty obviously not like, come on. Like we're not doing that. Like, I feel like there should be the like no crap rule. Like it's like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. And I think the only reason MLB decided that for at least I'm assuming for now is because no other players or coaches get checked like before the game. So in their, their thought process is like, oh, well, they could have gotten it between innings in the dugout. And so maybe, but it's yeah. also like that would only make sense if like Scherzer gave up like two runs in the first and two runs in the second. And then the third struck all three out. But then again, that's Max Scherzer. So that could realistically happen regardless. I feel like the one thing that you could say that would like the ump would have to listen to you is because they monitor this spin rate. Because that seems like the big thing. Because if he he changed, like pitchers can go from having no control to having a lot of control Mm -hmm. very easily. It's kind of like, I was just watching golf. So it's kind of like golfers can do that. where They either fall apart or really get it together. But your spin rate isn't going to massively change over the course of like an inning. So if that happens, I feel like they could say, okay, listen, we're monitoring this and this is what the spin rate is. Yeah. And then the ump should be like, okay, let's check. But if the spin rate's the same and he's just striking people out, well, he's just making his pitches. Suck it up. He just got into he got into a groove because like the Rangers have a starting pitcher, Dane Dunning, who is awful in the first inning. Like he's he gives up his ERA is like I think well over four, maybe even over five in the first inning, and then it's below three for the rest of the game. Like that's just how he is. So like you can't say like, oh, after the first inning, he must always go and get stuff and put it in his glove and he's cheating. Like I think you're right. Like the spin rate should come into play somehow there, especially since they said they had someone monitoring it, just like they have um, like the, the cameras or the like stat cast and stuff. Yeah. That's just like, I'm, I feel like you should have to, if you're going to keep requesting it over and over again, you should have to have some kind of evidence, yes. some kind of something. And it, the evidence can't just be, well, he's striking people out. <laughs> We're not winning, like, let's so, just check, check yeah. Jake DeGrom the entire game. Right. It's it's very like, well, he's pitching too good and I don't like that. So he must be cheating. It's very yeah. whiny. Um so then standings update. Uh in the AL, really only one thing has changed. Well, two. I think the last time we talked the AL West division, I think Oakland was first. Right now, Houston's in the lead by half a game. And then Boston and Tampa have flipped, so Boston's taken the lead. And then Chicago White Sox are still division leaders because that division is just falling apart at the seams, truly. Um, so not – AL has – I don't know why it's this way, but I feel like the AL has always been the boring uh, league to watch because it's it just feels like once you get around to June and the All-Star break – july 
the standings kind of stay the same. They they're they are where they are and they're gonna stay that way. You could occasionally get a wild card race that looks like it's gonna be a three-team tie, and then you don't ever actually get that chaos. For some reason, it always feels like the National League is the one to watch and that actually has put like more potential for chaos and even actually more chaos. So the NL wild cards right now, we're halfway through the season, would be the Dodgers in San Diego. And I would be very upset about that only because we would get a one game and not a three game series because the Dodgers in San Diego, every time they play this year has felt like a playoff game. So the fact we would only get one game between them and not potentially three is very upsetting. And I, I, that's the one rule they could have kept from last year if they weren't going to keep the DH for both leagues, they could have at least made the wild card a series because it should be a series. Everyone thinks so, except MLB, and MLB doesn't listen to anyone. So then the – I believe these two were the same as last time. San Francisco still the uh, West division lead. The Mets still their division lead. The one that's interesting to me is the – NL Central, Milwaukee. I think they might have been a wild card last time. Maybe they were the division. I just, I do remember we were talking about how they don't get talked about enough. Um, but it, I just find it fascinating because they're in the lead. Let me see how many games ahead they are. They are two and a half games over the Cubs. Currently, Milwaukee's on a five-game winning streak and the Cubs are on a two-game losing streak, even though they just know hit the Dodgers the other day so then and then Cincinnati six games back from Milwaukee if you had told me to guess who was the division leader of this I probably would have guessed St. Louis just because I feel like I hear more about them even the Cubs I feel like I don't hear enough about for being two and a half games back I don't think I could tell you one player on the Brewers except for Christian Yelich Mm-hmm. yeah and, I'm trying to think and, of who I know and even him I couldn't tell you if he's played this season he could be on the IL he could be batting 300 I he had a home run the other night so I'm guessing he's playing but that's about all I know and you don't see anything about it it's insane to me especially because they've been in the they've made it to the playoffs the last few years so I don't it I totally get that like we all know there's MLB has its bias towards the long-standing teams like the Dodgers, St. Louis, Cubs, Boston Red Sox. But you would think at least you'd hear one or two things about a division, a division lead right now and nothing. And I feel like the Brewers are a lovable team. So it's not like it's not like they're a basement team with no fans. Like, you know, I was looking at the standings though, it's crazy the West. Their third place team would be first in either of the other divisions. The NL West, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty like, well, because the NL East only has one team over 500. And so, yeah, yeah. like, if you look that, at it, it's pretty crazy. I think that happened a couple years ago when, like, Pittsburgh had been. I think Pittsburgh and Cincinnati ended up being wild cards because like four of the five teams in that division would have been division leads in the other divisions. But since they were all in the same one, it screwed them over. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot with the NL. I I feel like it doesn't happen with the AL all that often. Yeah, it's pretty, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes we found that too with the like, um, it was tough to share in hockey because mm-hmm. everyone was in the same division. So it was hard to know like how good, and it's still hard to know because yeah. you only had one team representing each division and playoff hockey is so different from regular season. So it does make things interesting. Yeah. And like AL East could potentially, if Toronto and Yankees weren't six games back, they would be similar to how the NL West is shaping up where you have so many teams who could potentially be a division winner if they were in a different division. Yeah. I almost kind of wish 
they did it based on like I get why they have divisions because theoretically you could have like no one in the AL Central make the playoffs if you did it by percentage points or percentage mm-hmm. like but the almost, whole like like if you just took the entire AL and decided the top eight teams make the playoffs I get that you'd probably have like the entire AL West minus Baltimore or AL East minus Baltimore and then AL West and then like maybe the White Sox and that would probably piss a lot of people off but I feel like that should come into play in some way. It is the thing like they discussed in hockey too because at one point it was like um, eight teams from the West eight teams from the east Mm -hmm. and it was just one through eight you got seated that way and now they have the thing where it's like the top three teams from each division plus then it was it's basically like two wild cards and they get put into the division based on their points so the minimum you can have is three and the maximum you can have is five and some people do complain because occasionally you'll get like really lopsided. Like for a while, it was like the Pacific, like the Central was kind of really dominant and the Pacific didn't have a lot of teams and isn't fair and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And there, it's always a conversation. It's an interesting debate. I don't think there's a right answer, but. Yeah, I think they could. I know MLB playoffs are long anyway, but. If they could find a way to do like four wild cards and do a series or something, if they could do a round robin like they did with NHL last year, just Mm -hmm. spitballing ideas here for MLB to ignore, never even think about. But there's got to be a way. Yeah. Because like for some teams, they only get like one season where it's like, this could be our season for playoffs and then just to miss because you have four other teams in your division that are also really good kind of sucks they really yeah it's it's tough I feel like that happened with Pittsburgh because they had McCutcheon for so long and he was so good and they had a couple other prospects that came up and were really good it's just at the same time you had the Cubs that were good St. Louis was good Cincinnati was in it and so that kind of messed it up for them just a yeah. thought for MLB if, you know, they want to listen and pretend they want to make the sport better. Just thoughts. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot. Well, the MLB can always improve. Things <laughs> right. Manfred. <laughs> right. Um, so that's all I got for baseball. So let's hockey's talk. more exciting right now. We're getting to the, the nuts and bolts of hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh let us first start out with so the NHL awards are a little different this year because they're not doing an actual like award show so they're just kind of announcing them throughout so I'm going to go through some of them we have the answers to some of them and then others of them were like they're going to announce through the finals so the Masterton trophy which is perseverance sportsmanship and dedication it was the nominees were Matt Dumba for the Hockey Diversity Alliance, um, Oscar Lindblom for um, his uh, cancer and overcoming cancer and his public mm-hmm. battle and all of that he's done with that, and Patrick Marlowe for the most games played in NHL history, uh, reaching that mark this season. Really don't feel like, and with this trophy always, it's like there's three great choices it's hard to be like this guy should win it or this guy shouldn't win it but Oscar Lindblom did win it and so congratulations to him um the next one King Clancy which is leadership and humanitarianism um Curtis Gabriel was nominated for um his support of LGBT causes um Pekka Rene uh whose causes are pediatric cancer and P.K. Subban who he's done this in both in Nashville and in Newark. I'm not sure if he did it in Montreal, but it's a program where it connects police officers in the area with youth from the area in hopes of fostering improved um, improved relationships, which as a black man, that's a really, mm-hmm. like the fact that he's leading that conversation is good um, and support for frontline workers. And Pecorino won this year, which again, no bad choices. Um, 
This one, I do have a very strong, like all of us had strong opinions about the Lady Bing Award, which is for gentlemanly conduct, which basically Mm -hmm. means guy who doesn't take a lot of penalties and just always ends up going to a forward, which is so annoying because defensemen should get graded on a curve because they're playing defense. They're more likely to take penalties. And so the nominees were Austin Matthews, Jacob Slavin, and Jared Spurgeon. And most of us in the hockey world were like, if Jacob Slavin doesn't win it this year, like we riot because Jacob <laughs> Slavin, a defenseman who is elite, constantly gets matched against the team's top lines. The only penalty he took this year was a puck over the glass penalty, which has nothing to do with gentlemanly conduct. Right. Because he didn't ungentlemanly hit the puck over the glass. <laughs> like that, that is completely he irrelevant. He was rude to the puck and he <laughs> sent it out of the glass. So therefore not a gentleman. So he won, thankfully, no riot needed. However, I did want to point out Nathan McKinnon won it last year. And that same Nathan McKinnon, whose gentlemanly conduct won him this award last year, in the heat of a like scrum, chucked his helmet at another player. Yes. So (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Gentlemanly conduct. Um the Jack Adams Coach of the Year Award, which I'm been upset that my coach, because it's based on the regular season, and mm. Mike Sullivan, who all of the um, injuries he's had to overcome, he never gets nominated because the team has Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Forgetting the fact that injuries and all of that. But the uh, nominees were Rod Brindamore, Dean Evison, uh, I should say Rod Brindamore, who coaches the Hurricanes, Dean Eviston, who coaches the Wild, and Joel Quenville, who co- coaches the Panthers. Rod Brindamore is basically the Canes have been good for a few years. Dean Eviston yeah. is um, the Wild weren't supposed to be good, but then they got Cam Talbot, who could actually play goalie, and Kirill <laughs> Kaprizov, who made them exciting. And then Joel Quenville, because Florida was a lot better. Um, and the winner was Rod Brindamore, which I am happy to see because I kind of hate that it's always like, hey, you were better than you thought you would be. Because like, especially yeah. Dean Addison, like I think legitimately Joel Quenville could have deserved this award because Florida was a lot better than they have been. Mm-hmm. And not to say that Minnesota wasn't, but like, what does jo- Dean Addison have to do with Cam Talbot and Karel right. Kaprizov being better than what the players they had last year yeah like it's anything like that you feels, should have been better if anything that feels like a gm award and not so much a yeah. head coach award so rod Brinsmore, i feel like that was a good choice um let's see the next one we have is uh the selkie award which is for defensive forward which i do like uh, it's it, this is a tough award because mm-hmm. is it like like and there should be a cutoff because some there's some hot take artists online like some analytics people who are like Zach Aston Reese of the like Pittsburgh Penguins should be but he's a third line or fourth line player like yes he plays good defense but he does legitimately nothing else so like there if there's a balance um and so the nominees were Alexander Barkov Mark Stone and the perennial nominee like I legitimately think he would have to not play a single game the year to that a year to not get nominated Patrice Bergeron of the Boston mm-hmm. Bruins and the winner was Alexander Barkov that feels pretty perfect to me Mark Stone didn't have as good of a defensive year I still think he should win it at some point because he's legitimately great defensively mm-hmm. and even though he's a winger he does deserve it um next let me see I'm trying to see if there's anything else that's been awarded that I didn't get uh uh-huh. Nope, that, not the ones I wanted to cut. There's some I'm, I'm skipping just because I don't find them that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then next, I think we'll go to the Calder Award, which is the Rookie of the Year. There is Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild, Alex Nedeljkovic of the Carolina Hurricanes, and Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars. Now, I think Alex Nedeljkovic and Jason Robertson, especially Jason Robertson, have good cases. However, I think if you think anyone but Kirill Kaprizov is going to win. I will take that bet with you because Kirill Kaprizov just had the most illustrious here. I get he's a little old for a rookie. It's going to kind of be like when Artemi Panarin won it, but still the rules are the rules. And of the three, I think it's Kirill Kaprizov. This just reminded me of um, an MLB thing I heard on the radio. I think it was like Thursday or Friday. Um, 
promise it's related to this. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays brought up the number one MLB prospect and he like hit a home run and a double and like made one great defensive play. And there was already people like saying he should be rookie of the year. I was like, he played one game. He could go 0 for 20 for his next. And mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's interesting when they start doing that. It's like one game. It's like, okay, he is the number one prospect, but you know, like let them play a couple more games. Could just be beginners. We're giving a game. Exactly. Cause I remember them. I remember some of them talking about the Calder, like when Jason Robertson first came up and it's like, look, he's a star. So automatically I want him too. But it's also like, it's of the year, not of the week. So let's just, you know, wait till the year is over. I think I think it's going to be Caprizov first, Robertson second, Nadalovich yeah. third. I think that's and probably how it'll finish. What team is Caprizov with again? The Wild. Okay. He's like legitimately, he makes them exciting because the Wild yeah. have been notoriously played boring hockey and not when he's on the yeah. ice. It's so weird because I feel like any other season, I would definitely know who he was. But since the divisions were so wacky this year, I'm like, I didn't get I, to see it. I legitimately liked watching the Wild this year because he yeah. was like, it's not only is he a really dynamic like playmaker and stuff, the guy always has a smile on his face, which is so yeah, fun. I love that. And he looks, he looks young and always having the smile and just playing that fun style of hockey. It's really, it makes it exciting yeah. to watch. I only kept up with the Wild because Dimitri adopted them as his team. The number, he's now the number one Hams fan, but he was yes. the number one Wild fan for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, <laughs> Next, Vesna, which is best goalie, um, mm-hmm. got Mark. Oh, it auto corrected me. It's Mark Andre Fleury, not Andrew <laughs> Google. Thank you very much. Uh, Philip Grubauer and Andre Vasilevsky. So, Mark Andre Fleury of Vegas, Philip Grubauer of Colorado, Andre Vasilevsky of Tampa. I think if you look at Mark Andre Fleury and what he did, I would, I'm definitely biased, but I would pick him. Mm-hmm. I think Andre Vasilevsky probably will win it, but my pick would be Mark Andre Fleury, just because I think at his age and what he had in front of him and everything that goes into it. Mark and after Andre playoffs Fleury. the previous season, like I think he bounced back a lot. Yeah, um, and Andre Vasilevsky, like it's tough because he was legitimately a good goalie, but he also plays behind the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. And that matters. So, And I can't root for Tampa. Tampa has become what the Cardinals are to me. So, yeah. And so that's kind of what I think. Um, next, Norris defenseman. Um, we got two youngins, Adam Fox of the New York Rangers and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. And the grizzled vet Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning. A lot of analytics people very not happy with Victor Hedman um, being nominated because he was not statistically the best defenseman on his team Um, by more like possession statistics, advanced Mm -hmm. statistics. I think a lot of people think Adam Fox is going to win it. If I had to pick, I would say Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, then Victor Hedman. I could also yeah. see Kale McCarr. I don't think Victor Hedman is going to win it just because I think the analytics people pushed hard enough that he didn't deserve to, that I feel like even the anti-analytics crowd is not going to push that hard back. Um, when you look at Adam Fox's name with all the other hockey names, it looks like so boring. It is. <laughs> generic. <right. laughs> um, I will say, so this is another award that's like hotly contested of what it is because for Mm -hmm. a while it was like the best offensive defenseman which that's not the award the award is best right and so it should be all around some people argue that they should do like what they do for forward and have offensive defensemen and then just best defensemen which is more traditional um so a lot of times and even offensive defensemen that can be a lot more playmaking than it is like points Mm -hmm. um but a lot of times it is just defenseman with a lot of points in the past previously but I think Adam Fox is legitimately really good um 
really interesting because he was originally drafted by Calgary. Then Calgary included him in the Dougie Hamilton trade to Carolina but mm-hmm. because they knew he wasn't going to sign in Calgary. Carolina took a stab. He was not going to sign. He basically like wanted to play in New York for the Rangers. And he said, like, listen, I'll go back. He played for Harvard. I'll go back and then I'll be a free agent if you don't trade me to New York. And so they worked out a trade to New York and that's where he played. So kind of interesting. That's a really big thing. Basically, if you play four years in university, your draft rights expire and you can pick where you want to go. So it is a big thing for a lot of players and a threat they use and kind of a negotiating tactic that rookies have to like kind of control what they can control. So yeah, very interesting. Um, I know, for instance, for uh, the Penguins, another Harvard player who also played with Adam Fox, John Marino, he was drafted by Edmonton. He said, listen, like, I don't I don't see my spot on your defense, so I'll go back to Harvard. Otherwise, trade me. And so the Pittsburgh Penguins gave up a sixth round pick, and he's been absolutely amazing for him. So one of our better trades. I'm <laughs> grateful for him for that. But now we're going to go to the last two, which I kind of want to group together because there is like there's subtle differences yeah so the Ted Lindsay is voted on by the players and it's named after Ted Lindsay because he's the reason that we have an NHL Players Association okay and it's for the most outstanding player Hart trophy is voted on by the writers and it's the player deemed most valuable to his team now I would say in both cases, Connor McDavid this year is the very clear winner. Yeah. To get a hundred points in a yeah. shortened season is absolutely incredible. It's like Wayne Great Gretzky esque when you remember that Wayne Gretzky played in a time where there was like no defense. So right. I think Connor McDavid not probably almost certainly wins both. I think the interesting thing is Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews were the two nominees for both, which makes sense. Connor McDavid, like well in a way, the points leader, Austin Matthews won the Rocket Richard for having the most goals. But then Nathan McKinnon uh, was nominated for the Hart, whereas Sidney Crosby was nominated for the Ted Lindsay. Now, I'm a biased Penguins fan, but I still actually think Nathan McKinnon is probably the more deserving of the two. I think... Sydney got it because the players are more deferential. If you look at like, like they're always saying Carey Price is the best goal. I think this is the first year in a long time that they didn't say that. Um, so, and like they always would say, this was another first year in the players poll. They usually would say, if you had to have one player to win one game, who would it be? And they always said Sydney Crosby. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first year they said Connor McDavid. So they're very deferential, traditional kind of thing. So I think that kind of explains things, but mm-hmm. And honestly, it's for third place in a trophy. Like, I don't think either cares too much either yeah. way. Um, but just an interesting little difference. I think everyone believes Connor McDavid. I honestly think, especially for the writers, if you did not vote Connor McDavid first, you probably shouldn't have a vote. Yeah. It's that obvious. Um, so with that, I wanted to move on to... We have to talk about the Blackhawks last, which I'm yeah. just going to pre-warn everyone that's going to suck. So sorry in advance. But first, before we get to that, I wanted to talk about where we are previewing the finals. So game six of Montreal Vegas, Montreal won game five. Um, game six went to overtime and Arturi Lekkanen of the Montreal Canadiens won it in overtime. Um it was very controversial. So how it happened is game four, Robin, Robin Leonard comes in, plays absolutely amazing, steals the game for his team. Game five, they go back to Marc-Andre Fleury, who has a very eh game. Vegas loses. Game six, they put Robin Leonard back in. He does fine. Like, he plays pretty well, but Carey Price is Carey Price. And um, yeah. Montreal wins. So you get a lot of people like, well, what if Robin Leonard played game five and um there's a lot of questioning and this is the hard part about when you have two legitimately elite goaltenders is what's the right answer and there's no real way and whatever happens if you don't win it people are going to second guess you um it's just hard to know yeah but Montreal I think first of all 
Cole Caulfield. Absolutely amazing benefit to the team. It's hard to believe that they scratched him for a couple games against the Leafs. That's absolutely mind-boggling with how important he is to this team right now. Just how what an X factor he is offensively. One of the best things, if you aren't following him, at least follow him for the playoffs, JJ Watt, aka the Cole Caulfield super fan, is amazing because they're both from Wisconsin. They both went to Wisconsin. And JJ Watt actually did play hockey for a decent amount of his life. I did not um, know that. Yeah, he's actually can still skate pretty well. Um and it is funny because Cole Caulfield is 5'7". And if you know anything about J.J. Watt, he's very not. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. But he, um, he was campaigning early on when Cole Caulfield was getting scratched. He was saying that the Montreal Canadiens need Cole Caulfield and then came back to be like, hey, I was right, you know, Cole Caulfield. And so pretty, pretty amazing. Um, Philip Deneau continues like they just put him against the team's best line. He doesn't really score much, although he did have an amazing setup in overtime. He doesn't really score much, but the other team really doesn't do anything. And when you're playing against the other team's best line and you have Cole Caulfield back there, kind of the perfect thing. So um, pretty amazing what, what Montreal is doing. Of course, Carey Price. Carey Price continues to look very mediocre in the regular season and then becomes old Carey Price God level and that's why I think Carey Price his playoff performance it's really hard to see how Canada wouldn't pick him to be their goalie which is amazing because a a, a couple years ago they were talking about uh, Morgan's favorite player Jordan Bennington for instance (laughs) playing for Canada I think after this year that's very not going to happen but then even Carter Hart again after this year not going to happen. I, I think you have to look at Carey Price as your starter, but I think goaltending just Olympics preview. Goaltending is where the U.S. really has the advantage because yeah. the U.S. Ha- over Canada at least, because obviously Russia yeah. has Andre Vasilevsky, but the U.S. has Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets and John Gibson of the Anaheim Ducks both of whom are very elite. John Gibson's not been as great of recent years, but the Ducks have been terrible. So, but I think that's a one-two punch that's probably better than anything Canada could come up with. So that's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting choice and Carey Price continues to impress. Um, And then Tampa beat the Islanders when nothing in um, game seven to move on to the Stanley Cup finals. Um, this is going to be a very interesting final because Tampa has been Tampa. Um, and then, uh, like Tampa, I, they finished second to the Hurricanes, but I think they were like in top five in the entire league in points. And whereas Montreal, points wise, finished 18th in a league that 16 teams made the playoffs. And is now in the Stanley Cup Finals. So hockey is weird. That just goes to show you. But it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, you got to, you know, the uh, Sportsnet was stoked because <laughs> um, having a Canadian team. Yeah, it's just great for the ratings. And you also know NBC is really relieved that Tampa beat the Islanders because if it was Montreal Islanders, that would be the most boring hockey. <laughs> they both are like clog it up defensive blah 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 Mm -hmm. like at least Tampa is going to push things around a little bit so yeah also note um Pat Maroon will be in his third straight final uh (laughs) um I think the first player in the salary cap era to win three straight Stanley Cup something like that pretty insane but we'll see what happens Um, I hate it I I really want Montreal to win. I want Montreal to win. I'm mad (laughs) because his last two were with the Blues and then Tampa. The two teams I hate. Uh, And I just want it because the Penguins won back to back. And it's like one of the only times in the modern era that's ever happened. And I don't really want Tampa to do it too. So I'm I'm kind of all in on Montreal. I kind of feel like Tampa's going to win, but Montreal's proven people wrong a lot. So I'm hoping for it. I feel that that's how I felt when the Dodgers went to the World Series back to back and I wanted them to lose back to back so the Rangers wouldn't be the only 
team that lost back-to-back world <laughs> series it worked out for me <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm hoping um so finally we have to discuss um what's going on in Chicago yeah trigger warning this discusses like sexual assaults and all that kind of thing so please turn tune off if you don't want to listen but it is a very important thing to discuss mm-hmm. um first I really want to shout out uh, Rick Westhead of TSN, who was kind of the person who started reporting on this, and then also Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, who also did a really great piece, and then now it seems like it really is gaining momentum, and it's being talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this this accusation goes back to the 2010 Stanley Cup, which is like the first Stanley Cup of the modern era for the Blackhawks, um, and it says that during the playoffs, uh, this video coach, which I got to have to look up who his name is, but um, the Black, Brad Aldrich, a video coach for the Blackhawks, had players over to his house and um, like attempted sexuals or like sexually assaulted players, um, multiple players. Um, and then sent text messages that were inappropriate, threatened players if they came out about this or anything. So then these players went to skills coach Paul Vincent, who was like a former police officer, who kind of looks the best besides the players and all of this, because they went to him and they told him what happened. And he said, he recommended that they go to the team's sports psychologist. And then he brought this to management with the recommendation that management report this to the police okay the sports psychologist looks really awful because he was basically like trying to convince some players that it was their fault that it happened which is really great and then the blackhawks like war room it seems kind of led by and i'm sure who they're going to make the fall guy vice president uh who then blackhawks president um john mcdonough who isn't with the team any longer i believe he retired or something um and like but a bunch of blackhawks like team officials decided not to report this to the police and paul vincent apparently campaigned very hard and said what if this was your son allegedly Mm -hmm. in this meeting so none of the players are upset with him and you can understand like the position that he's in where he has to report it up but then if he went around to the police it could especially in 2010 which is before me too and all of that it could have destroyed his career and you do you feel for him and he wasn't a direct witness so there's not like but he he did exactly what you would do in a situation like that which is report it to the higher-ups and the higher-ups are just like nah nothing so basically what happened is he then they allowed this video coach to say like he was taking a personal leave for the rest of the playoffs he was pictured with the Stanley Cup he has his name on that Stanley Cup then he voluntarily left worked at a high school where he then committed a shock sexual assault for which he is now a registered sex offender so because the Blackhawks didn't report this this guy has at least one other victim and in a younger a, victim not that young, it, not but, that the age really makes a difference but the fact that most likely an underage victim at the time but basically um this wasn't being picked up on a lot but now it's like really gaining speed. yeah and the blackhawks first response was basically the statute of limitations is passed oh fuck them isn't that and okay also (sighs) think about how far this spreads because stan bowman was the general manager is the current general manager he for sure knew joel quinville the head coach at the time is now the head coach of florida now we don't know if he knew or not but then other people like in hockey ops high up at the at the time for the Blackhawks right Kevin Chevaldeoff who is the general manager 
of the Winnipeg Jets and who was also in, implicated. And this is around the same time because remember the Akeem Alou racism yes. incident with Bill Peters that happened for the minor league affiliates of the Chicago Blackhawks, which Kevin Cheveldale reportedly had very like not had knowledge of and is and um, right now the Winnipeg Jets are referring all requests for comments to the Blackhawks. So that's really great. And then the last one implicated is general manager Mark Bergevin of the Montreal Canadiens, who could not skirt around it because it was media day today. And so he basically was like, I had no idea. However, Brent Sopel has been on the record um, on Twitter. Nick Boynton has gone on the record with um, reporters, both of whom played for the 2010 Blackhawks. And they were like, it was an open secret. Everyone knew. And so how did everyone know, but um, Mark Bergevin, whose title I believe at the time was the director of player personnel, didn't know. How does that make any sense? So obviously we can't prove it's all alleged, but it is a little fishy. So the player is the, an unnamed player, which TSN says they know the identity of, but luckily all of the hockey media is doing the ethical thing and not sharing the name. Right. Um, because the player hasn't gone public. All of that uh, are suing. And the way it works, the lawsuit is for 150000 but that's a placeholder because the jury decides the award should right. one be necessary. But either way, like, obviously, the stupid statute of limitations thing, who knows how this is all going to come out. But because there should of, not be a statute of limitations on that. that. But because this all came out, I, I, it, at, at least I'm hoping that some good can be done of like we the public yeah. can have a reckoning because honestly, from what I understand right now, for sure, because I don't know how, because head coach is a little different than player personnel. Yeah. Like there is a little bit of difference from that. So unclear on Joel Quinville, but maybe Joel Quinville, but for sure, Stan Bowman, Kevin Sheveldayoff, and Mark Bergevin probably don't need to have jobs anymore. And that psych, the team psychologist. I, yeah, but I don't even know if he's still the team psychologist. But he then, shouldn't have a license if he's going to victim blame. Um, you know, and you know, an interesting thing I thought. So, part of like what what showed up on my timeline and stuff, the barstool like Chicago Blackhawks reporter, is like fire this guy. Like, I don't care. Fire everyone. That's surprising. And he's like, he said, I don't care. Like, obviously the Blackhawks haven't been great. He's like, I don't care if the Blackhawks had won, hadn't lost the game in three seasons. Fire everyone. And I'm like, you've lost Barstool. Yeah. Like, how are you still saying statute of limitations when you've lost Barstool? It's, It's pretty hard to lose Barstool. Just, that's I'm, when you know I'm ba- but that's why I'm baffled that they haven't said anything that even like they're the worse than barstool they, the fact that all they could say is statue of limitations is fucked up yeah at I least, mean don't say anything say no comment say say no comment or at the very least it's something we're looking into yeah we're, we're investigating as it's active litigation we don't want to comment at this time it's the whole, like, better be silent and thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, dang, man. Because okay. it definitely didn't make it better by saying that. No. So, really messed up situation. Obviously, the most messed up thing is that it resulted in another victim. Yeah. But we'll see how this goes. Definitely something we're going to continue to talk about. But I feel yeah. like after that it feels weird to go on a rant but it's time for rant and rave so um if you don't mind I can go first yes okay so a little outside our wheelhouse but pretty big thing happened with the supreme court case on the NCAA and I'm a little bit of a supreme court junkie so yes I read the case and this is something just a little um insight into supreme court stuff for anybody reading it 
if you're ever like if you ever really want to get to the good stuff on NCAA things one thing I recommend doing is um if there's like a an opinion and there's a concurring opinion read the concurring opinion because sometimes the the main opinion is uber long and uber mm-hmm. detailed and uber dry because this is what's going to be referenced yeah for like all the lower court decisions and stuff and the concurring opinion is where like people really let loose and oh my god I know he's not everyone's favorite person definitely not my favorite person but Justice Kavanaugh he let the NCAA absolutely have it interesting basically what he's saying is like because this this ruling is limited to the um education related benefits it's not like pay and but he's basically like um listen don't don't try don't let this pay thing get to the supreme court because you ain't gonna like the decision and um Okay, here, here's the, I'm looking for the part I wanted to read. The NCA asserts that its compensation rules are pro-competitive because those rules help define the product of college sports. Specifically, the NCAA says that colleges may decline to pay student athletes because the defining feature of college sports, according to the NCAA, is that student athletes are not, pay, are not paid. And, and basically it's saying, hey, we don't have to pay our workers because a defining thing of our product is not pay. And so then he goes on, I, I'm sorry, this is gonna be a long rant, but I have things. <laughs> In my view, that argument is circular and unpersuasive. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. All the restaurants in a region cannot come together to cut cooks' wages on the theory that customers prefer to eat food from low-paid cooks. Law firms cannot conspire to cabin lawyers' salaries in the name of providing legal services out of the love of the law. Hospitals cannot agree to cap nurses' income in order to create a purer form of helping the sick. News organizations cannot join forces to to curtail pay to reporters to preserve a a tradition of public-minded journalism. Movie studios cannot collude slash benefits to camera crews to kindle a spirit of amateurism in Hollywood. My favorite part of that is a bunch of that was in quotes because he's taking quotes directly from the NCAA's arguments themselves. And I kind of stand the petty. Yeah. And his, the the next comment, they're like, um, price fixing labor is price fixing labor. And basically what he's saying is price fixing labor in the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is like a century old, is illegal. So he's saying, you can't say we aren't price fixing labor when that's what you're doing. Yeah. And so the, the thing I want to rant against is all of the people who were like then discussing, well, if you do pay, then what about this? And then what about that? And discussing all of the like complications that it makes. And it's like, okay, we can make a lot of things simpler if we broke the law. It doesn't mean we can break the law. Right. Like, I can't even believe that's an argument we have to have. But, you know, part of it, like, I get football is, like, the one that makes, gets a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. But I think a really great argument is basketball. Yes. Because how many people leave after three years, not to go to the NBA, but to go to Europe? Because then Mm -hmm. they can get paid in, like, Serbia. And you're like, how can they get paid in Serbia? when they play in these little high school gyms, but they can't get paid. Like we have people at Creighton, my school, and they draw like 18,000 people and they can't get paid. And it's like, would they play the fourth year if the first three years and then the fourth year they're getting paid to bring a lot more money to a lot bigger program? Yeah. And that just seems better because then they can get that degree that the NCAA prides itself on. And I just... It's really bothered. But like I said, think what you want of him. Definitely have a lot of discussion about Justice Kavanaugh. However, please, like, and this is just a general rule. Concurrences offer really great insight into laws. 
or into like rulings. And I do want to end with his his final statement. The NCAA is not above the law, which I think does kind of sum it up. So yeah. like, like I said, please don't think that I'm excusing him for anything. Right. But also this was a unanimous ruling. Like, that's, that's fascinating to me. But that's how obvious it was. Yeah. Because like, there's literally like, and sometimes the concurrence will be like, hey, I agree with how they, I agree with the decision, but I don't agree with how they got there, which for that, you will see concurs in the judgment because it means, hey, I agree with the conclusion, but not, but if they say so-and-so concurring, that means, hey, I agree. I just want to add some things, which mm-hmm. basically Kavanaugh was like, I agree. I just want to like get a little pettier and yeah, like give a big F you to the NCAA, which he did. So yeah, so because the opinion was written by Gorsuch, and the concurring opinion was written by Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I mean, that should tell you how obvious yeah. this is. So it's going to be interesting to see what the NCAA does. But tomorrow, like, well, actually not tomorrow, like when this ruling was issued, schools could start issuing educational benefits. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they're going to preemptively come up with more comprehensive or if at very least preemptively create what all of us have been wanting which is a players association that can negotiate so that there's fair ground between the universities and the NCAA and the players themselves so Mm -hmm. we'll see what comes of that but just had to rant at people who are like this will make it tougher who cares it's illegal what they're doing is illegal maybe Mm -hmm. they should be legal if it's tough to be legal well then maybe there shouldn't be an NCAA yep that's my long rant my rant's short and I figured since I've ranted about how cold it was in February then the rain all the rain we got like a month ago I figured now it'd be a good time to rant about how freaking hot and humid it is in Texas which I'm sure if you're not from Texas and listening you're like well yeah isn't it hot in Texas it's summer it's been more hot than usual and it's been god-awful humid and it's miserable and it's the reason it's worse is because it's only June. August is usually like the worst month. So if we already have heat indexes of 100 plus right now, I'm so excited to see what August is going to have. Um, mostly I hate the humidity. Usually it's a dry heat here. But the other day I felt like I could swim through the air. So that was, that was you know, super enjoyable. Uh, and it's going to rain more this week, but hopefully if it rains enough I won't have to go outside as much I just uh, wait till August and my rant will be longer but right now I'm like I'm over the heat I'm ready for fall and it's only June feel that yep I feel that um so my rave yes after all of the ranting I feel happy to do this um so exciting this week in the NFL uh Carl Nassib Nassib I'm sure I'm terrible at pronouncing the name sorry um of the vegas raiders las vegas raiders uh is the first active nhl player to come out as gay um and i also loved how he did this he teamed up with the trevor project Mm -hmm. and it was obviously in conjunction with pride month and just really great and then also really cool to see all of the teams supporting it his own team teammates competitors all of that so cool to see and Mm -hmm. really really pretty big moment for sports in general but the NFL particularly and just obviously it's a long overdue first step but a pretty cool first step and um hope that it's the start of something bigger and and also not anticipating I mean, kind of homophobia, but be it from, I'm, I'm sure there will be homophobia from fans, mm-hmm. but hopefully not from competitors. But if there are in either case, I hope the NFL has very, very strong punishment. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if it was a player that there would be some kind of suspension. And I would also hope that the team that that player plays for would be pretty much done if it's a, yeah. a, a fan I think that's a very solid case for a lifetime ban yeah for sure so 
but it is a really exciting thing. Yeah. Um, I definitely encourage everyone to watch the video. It's on his Instagram. It's pretty cool. So that's my rave. My rave is that, which first of all, if you follow me on Twitter, you already saw it, but the Texas Rangers announced their two Hall of Fame inductees for this season. They didn't have it last year because of COVID, obviously. Um, and if you know me super well, you know my favorite number is 23. My favorite athlete is Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre will be the 23rd Ranger inducted into the Ranger Hall of Fame in August. And that just personally made me so happy because they're inducting him and then the Rangers um, PA uh, no not PA what the the in stadium why did I just blank on what his entire it's Chuck Morgan if you're a Ranger fan you know who that is and I totally blanked on like his title but he's basically the voice of the Rangers when you go to games you hear his voice the entire game. And he's also the one that decides um, the giveaways. So bobbleheads are all his ideas, which the Rangers have great bobbleheads. So he will be the 24th inductee. And that also feels like great because I'm like, oh, someone with the name Morgan. And then we have the 23rd and it's Beltray. And it just very personally and very selfishly made me extremely happy. I would have been just slightly peeved at the Rangers if Beltre would have been 24. So the fact that he made 23 was kind of like, they do love me, even <laughs> if, though they don't show it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little thing. It's the very little thing. Especially when your team's not playing great. It's the tiniest of things. <laughs> so with that... Um... We'll see you all hopefully next week. It does kind of depend with both of us having full-time work now. Yes. Things can get a little chaotic, but we do our best. Um, thank you all always for listening, and we'll talk to you later.